I'm old, so I'm going to sit down. So, um, I've gotten to be here a, a number of times, especially, you know, I've got to be here a lot in the spring. I've been, I've been traveling and out and around, uh, but um, some of you guys have seen me. But I guess you guys have been sharing testimonies now for, for a while, right? So Greg told me there was about 15 people maybe that have done their testimony. On the 10th, okay. So that means nine of you guys. So I got to listen to Zach's, which was just really encouraging. I just never knew your story, Zach. I, um, I don't have a PowerPoint. I could tell you did. It would have been fun to see your slides, but it was really encouraging to hear your story. And then I got to listen to Nicole's. I don't, but I don't even know if I've ever met Nicole. Is Nicole here? Okay. Yeah, that was a really encouraging story, too. So um, how, many, how many else? Who else here has gotten to share their story? Okay. Ooh, all right. Okay. Yeah. So, so I guess you guys are going to do this until Thanksgiving, is what I heard, is maybe one plan at least. So, um, what are some things you feel like have been good about hearing people's stories? I mean, somebody could be teaching out of the book of Leviticus up here. This could be an electrifying series on Old Testament animals or something, and now you're doing stories. <laughs> uh, what do you guys feel like you've gotten out of that? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just going to say, I think it's encouraging uh, to just be able to connect with, with the body in a deeper way. And, uh, just hearing people's stories and we relate and connect with them and know them even better. And it's been awesome for us as a church, I think, to, to just share that. Yeah, true. That's great. Yeah. That's, that's really good. Yeah. So how real is it all? That's a really profound question. Yeah. Everybody's individual spiritual journey and how it can relate to each one of us in a different way that really can open your eyes. Um, you feel, you know, supported. Yeah, that's, that's great, Adam. That's great. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, you know, even as a pastor, <clears throat> I just really love hearing people's testimonies because, because uh, you, can, you can teach the Bible and you can give all the answers and you can go through all the logic of Romans or whatever, but you can also wonder, where does this stuff go? What's going on under there? If you, if you take the hood off, you know, all this nice doctrine, all this nice this Bible truth, what's really going on? And we don't get enough opportunity to see the reality of faith in one another's lives. You know, in the book of Philemon, Paul writes to Philemon and he says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may have a full understanding of all the riches we have in Christ. 
And when Paul wrote that to Philemon, he was not talking about evangelism. He was talking about sharing faith in their house church, sharing their faith with one another, sharing their stories. And so much you and I need to see faith in one another's lives. I can give you the right Bible answer. What I want to know is, is it working for anybody? Is anybody walking in it? How solid is this under the hood? And when we hear people's testimonies and you go, whoa, God changed that life. God changed that life. God changed that life. And I can look at things in my own life and go, there's a reality here. And, and that's what you and I can share because the, the world is full of religious words. Full of religious. Turn on the television. Full of religious smiley words. In all those religious smiley words, how real are they in people's lives underneath? And when we share our stories, we go, this is real. This is real. And I, so I just appreciate the chance to share my own, my own uh, story of, of how God has been very real to me. And I am uh, completely convinced, I just don't have a shadow of a doubt, that one day I will open my eyes and I will see Jesus Christ. I just, I just have no doubt about that. Although I have lots of things still I wrestle with and struggle with and... and um, Discovered after a long time that that's part of the Christian life. I got saved in 1977. I think I just had my, my 37th spiritual birthday. So I'm spiritually older than almost all of you are physically. Uh, I'm 57. I got saved, I think, toward the end of my 20th year, right, when I went into college. And I can just share a little bit about as much as I remember about life back then. Um, I, got, I grew up in a denominational home. That was pretty common 50 years ago. People came out of, were coming out of some denomination. I was raised Lutheran. And um, I, as I look back, after becoming a Christian later, I, I really felt like neither my mom or my dad had a religious faith of their own. But they did go to church, and they took me to the Lutheran church. And I am so thankful that my mom taught me to pray when I was a little, little child, and I would kneel down beside my bed, bed and pray, Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen. And um, I really do think that somehow that, that, uh, that direction from my mom and that thing that somehow I owned about praying was a part of what God used to lead me to himself. And one of the mysteries we have, and I thought about this a lot, I think of all my high school friends, and we were a bunch of unsaved, crazy people. Um, and of all of them, only two, of all the people I hung out with, of all of them, I'm still close to them, and we, we still connect, and, and yet they absolutely have no faith. And I think, God, why did I come to faith? Why did I have that understanding that somehow God is there? And I look back and I can see little things like when my mom taught me to pray, um, I did get confirmed to the Lutheran church, although I never learned a single thing there. The wildest and craziest person in my whole confirmation class was a preacher's daughter and, and she would sell dope and stuff like that and it was crazy. Uh, my parents quit going to church right after I got confirmed because my dad got offended in the church and I quit going and so I just lived this crazy teenage life. Um, but somehow there was a sense that God was real. 
And I don't know why I had that, and other people don't seem to have it in the same way at all. But uh, I had a real tension going on in my life, especially I graduated from high school and all my friends went off to college and I was sort of in the group of kids that would go to college and, and yet I didn't go because uh, I wanted to go find myself. That was a big thing back in the early 70s to go and try to find yourself. Uh, I'm not sure anybody ever did, but a lot of people use it as a great excuse to go do stupid things uh, and I did the same thing. And uh, I ended up doing a variety of things that now I'm really thankful for because they were great experiences in my life. I worked at a bookstore for a while with some really, really interesting people. I, um, I got to work as a union painter and in the whole construction world and I just learned a lot there. I got to farm a farm all by myself. And it was probably that latter experience of farming a farm all by myself when I didn't know a single thing about it and there was nobody around to help me that um, really gave me something I really needed in my life, which was humility. And I really reached limits that I had not understood I had before. Uh, and um, I could tell you lots of really funny, crazy stories about my time on the farm. But I won't take time to do that. I'll just say that my dad came out on March 19th. I'll tell you one little, just to give you a picture of what it was like. My dad was living in Colorado, but he, he went back and he bought a farm because he asked me, he said, John, you ever going to go to college? I said, well, you know, Dad, what I'd really like to do is farm a farm. So my dad drove back to Iowa, bought a farm, because he'd always wanted to go back to a farm because he was an old farm boy. And he bought a farm and he fixed up my grandpa's old farm equipment who died years ago. And he took it out, he dumped it on this farm, he dumped me on the farm, and I lived on a 13-foot travel trailer because it was no house. And I lived on one side of the concrete with and the hogs were on one side I built a fence and I put me on the other side so it was me and the hogs um, they were my friends, I didn't know anybody I had no phone, I had my dog and my 67 Ford 250 pickup and uh, they dumped me off on March 19th, spring break and then they went back to Colorado and uh, I took a shower when we left that morning from Colorado and I didn't take a shower again until the middle of June yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I could tell you wild stories. Uh, wild stories. Uh, but uh, all this, the result of all of that was, uh, was, was, was uh, I really recognized that I had needs in my life. I had tons of money I had to spend on my dad's behalf. I just was doing all kinds of things I didn't know how to do, spending all kinds of money I didn't know what to spend it on. A lot of, lot of uh, pressure and things like that. Um, when my dad came back, it's always been my picture of the return of Christ because I just knew the day was coming, but I didn't know when. Of course, he showed up and the cattle were gone. I had a lot of story about cattle being gone. But, but um, uh, I just remember um, seeing him come over the hill and I was out in the field and um, my dad came and in a sense kind of rescued me. Um, but he, he and I built a house that summer. And there, my mom and dad are still living in that house. And then I worked as a painter in Des Moines. And then I went to college because I realized, okay, um, I didn't really find myself. And uh, there was a lot of, lot of selfishness in my life. And I just decided that, that I probably wasn't going to be happy in life. And since I wasn't going to be happy in life, then I just wanted to have money. So I wanted to go to college. I wanted to be a medical doctor. I wanted to join a fraternity because I thought that's where the people were that had money. And I uh, was not a fraternity type person at all. I was just this weird, geeky, little funny guy. 
Um, but uh, uh, through a whole series of steps or me getting sent someplace I wasn't supposed to go and a whole bunch of other really cool stories about the sovereignty of God, I ended up um, living in a house where there were two other very committed Christians from this movement. And uh, I had had this really intense spiritual interest going on in my life for about a year where I would kind of seek God out and push God away, seek God out and push God away, listen to Christian radio and go do stupid things. And just this incredible tension going on in my life on, on what am I going to do with the sense that God's there for me. And I moved into this, this house uh, and the very first week before school started, I was coming in the back door of this house at 6 in the morning on a, on a um, Saturday morning. And the two guys that I had already been told were the Bible beaters were walking in the front door of this house at 6 in the morning. And I definitely didn't want these two Bible beaters asking me where I had been till 6 in the morning. And so I really quick asked them where they had been. And, uh, and they told me that they had been at an all-night prayer meeting. And something about that exchange right there, it was like God just took me and just punched me. And I just felt overwhelmed, like this huge searching that I had been searching for. And I'd been going to different churches. I'd been doing, I'd just been all, doing all kinds of religious stuff in some ways, searching for God. And I knew that whatever it was that I needed to know about God, these guys knew it. Anybody that could be at an all-night prayer meeting had what I was trying to find. And so that night, I looked Brad up, and I said, Brad, are you a Christian? He said, yes. I said, would you tell me what that is? And he went through a little booklet with me about how I needed to accept Christ. And I think it was the first time in my life where I understood that I needed to relationally respond. I mean, in one sense, I think we know that. We know that there's this invitation. We know God's calling us, and we just keep pushing it away, and we don't want anybody to control our life. And, and, um, and the next day, he took me to church, and it was on the university campus. And, and somehow, either I left them or they left me. I don't know who ditched who, but I walked home by myself. And I just remember stopping on the sidewalk and having this overwhelming sense that there was, this was the time where this was my moment of decision. Where God was saying to me, alright John, what are you going to do? And, and me still not really understanding anything, but just looking up at God and saying, God, if you will have me, I will have you. If you'll accept me, and I told God, I said, God, no, I know I can't, I know I'm not going to do any of this tomorrow. God, I'm so selfish. I know I won't be following you tomorrow. But for today, I give you my whole life. And God said, that's good enough. I'll take it. Boom. Spirit went into me. I gotcha. And I know I got saved because from that point on, my life really changed. And you know, there's often a honeymoon stage in the Christian life where you're just excited about God and the Spirit's filling you up and you're just like, whoa, this is so cool. And I was telling everybody in the house I was living in about God and they were going, what happened to him? And, and uh, then I realized, you know what? Not everybody wants to hear about God. They're sort of like you used to be, John. And, um, 
Uh, but I know God really saved me then. And, um, and I really have come to believe that every single person comes to some point in their life where they sense, this is my time, this is my moment where I have to decide, am I going to cross this line and enter into God's world and belong to Him? And sometimes there's a moment in time, sometimes I think there's times where we just realize, whoa, I've, I've done that, and I don't know where you guys are. It might be in your life that you, you uh, um, know, yeah, I remember that, and I know I've crossed that line, and I, I'm, I belong to God, and I am on His side. I, in that circle, I've stepped in. You might feel like, I don't know whether I've stepped in or not. And I just want you to know, if that's where you're at, that there is an invitation for you. It is a relational invitation. It's an invitation that you will sense and it is from your maker. And it all makes sense in what he did in this physical world in Jesus Christ. But it comes down to an invitation to you. And there are two kinds of people in this world. People that have said yes to that invitation and have accepted it and have crossed that line. And people that have heard that invitation and said no. And one of the most important things in each one of our lives is to be able to look in your heart and go, I know what my answer is and was. Do you belong to God? He has invited you. You have been given that invitation. What did your heart say? You will not successfully walk out the acceptance of that invitation. You will fail and you will fall short. But there should be a place you can always go to in your heart where you go, I know what I want. I know what I chose. I know who I belong to. I belong to God. And, and um, no matter how much you fail... What you need to be able to do is look in your heart and go, who do I want to belong to? Do I want to belong to Jesus Christ? Do I want to belong to Jesus Christ? And if that's what you find in your heart, then you are His. That's what I really believe. And um, that was really just the beginning of the Christian life. See, when I was young, people would tell their testimonies and all they would share is how they got saved. And, And of course, when you're younger, that's all you really have a real clarity about. But the older you get, you realize the Christian life is this wild ride. You guys are in the middle of a wild ride. And you keep thinking when you get your Christian life together, it's all going to plane out and be smooth and easy. And uh, let me uh, let you know that part won't happen. Um, God is going to teach you and test you and call you and open you up all your life. There is a rest, but it isn't here, somewhere else. And God has had lots and lots of lessons for me. Um, I think one of my very first ones was the second Friday. So I'm pretty sure it was just the next, very next Friday. And I was in the bathroom uh, in this house getting ready to... to uh, to go out with my girlfriend, who I'd met just a few weeks before, up at ISU, Iowa State University. 
And Brad, the guy who shared the gospel with me and taken me to church, and boy, we, we just locked right up, and I just became a duck and just tracked with those guys, Brad and Ace, Ace McLeod. Those were the two Bible beaters, and, and I was the third now um, in that fraternity. Um, uh, Brad walked into the bathroom. I'm getting ready, trying to make myself look nice as much as I can. Uh, and Brad just kind of gets into my grill about how I don't even remember what he shared. All I remember is what I got. <laughs> but he shared with me stuff about how maybe I shouldn't be going out with girls if I'm going to be out till 6 in the morning. And maybe that's just not what God has for me. And maybe I should rethink relationships altogether. And I'm not sure all of what he shared. But I just knew that when he walked out of that bathroom, I was so mad. He could have shoved his face into the door. Who was he stepping into my life, telling me what to do. And what made me so angry was I just felt totally convicted that he was right. And I hated that. I knew, I knew, I couldn't have this and this. These two didn't go together. And he had the gall to walk in there and tell me that to my face. And... I don't remember whether he shared any Bible verses with me. I'm sure he probably did because that's what he always did. Which probably didn't help how I felt about it. But there's a verse that I think about now uh, that really fits that. And it's 2 Timothy 3.16. And it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, reproof, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And you know what I'm still reminded about even today, which you and I are so quick to forget and we're so quick to let go of, even with one another, is that there's a place for reproof in all of our life. Brad saved me. Because he reproved me. I don't know how much guts it took for him to walk in that bathroom. I am sure he didn't want to do it. He's probably out there just praying. God, do I have to do this? He walked in and he reproved me. And the Spirit convicted me. And my life changed. From that moment, I walked into the bathroom and I went, He's right. He's right. And the whole course of my life changed. There is a place, the scripture says, where we need to take the truths of the Bible and we need to teach and we need to reprove. To this day, I can think of a time not very long ago. Where somebody in this room stepped into my grill again and reproved me and saved me. There is a time and a place for us to love one another in reproof. And you will never get past it. And if you don't have anybody in your life that will do that, you're not in a safe place. Because your flesh is crazy and it will take you where you don't want to go. And somebody from the outside can step in and bring that biblical reproof 
And when you hear it, you get mad. And then you change. And you're saved. So as a church, we need to remember that. That's a part of the Christian life. That's a part of the Christian life. It's a hard part because we're still broken and fallen. And um, time went on, and like I said, it was like a duck with, with, with Brad and Ace, um, and just tracking with them and going to all the meetings they went to. And, um, but it didn't take very long where I was really struggling with some things in my life. Really caught up, really just stressful about it, just feeling like, man, this is not good, this is not good. And when I talked to my Bible study leader, I said, you know what? I've got to confess, there is a sin in my life that's tearing me up. And my Bible study leader looked at me in a really knowing, understanding way. And he launched into a long dissertation about his own struggles with moral failure. And things that he had learned and things that God had walked him through and the things that he'd had to work out of. And it was just this long, very open, very vulnerable, very real, just bare his soul thing to me. And when he got all done with that, I, I looked at him and I said, I'm not talking about moral purity. And he went, oh. It's a bit of an awkward moment. Although all that stuff was very relevant, I just wasn't dealing with that one yet. But I said, I just can't stand Brad and Ace. They drive me crazy. I was completely just, just torqued off with these two Christian brothers that were really loving me. They wanted me to get up in the morning and pray. They wanted me to memorize Bible verses with them. They came and they got me when we went to meetings. And I just was like, and one of the things I learned, and as a matter of fact, the very first memory verse I ever memorized was um, was Proverbs seventeen one. Uh, uh, Better is a dry morsel and quietness with it than a house full of feasting with strife. And I memorized that because I had all kinds of things I wanted from these guys and that I didn't want from these guys, and they. And, and God taught me a lesson there that I have been learning ever since. And it's this. My greatest challenge, and probably your greatest challenge, is always going to be your relationships. And it's often going to be the relationships you're closest to, and it's often going to be with your Christian brothers and sisters. You'll love all those heathen in Africa. They're easy to love. They're not here. It's the Christian that has these weird ways of doing stuff that's always there that drives you crazy. And all my life, I've had people that have driven me crazy that have been around me in my church. Not because of their issue, because of my issue. And you know why I have that? Because I'm human. Everybody does. All the people across the street at the bar do. Everybody has that. Nobody can get along in their relationships. 
It is the thing we fail at more than anything else as human beings. And God says, that's going to be the mark that we really belong to Him. Because somehow there is a supernatural power that allows us to to wrestle through and fight through and struggle through those relational things and arrive on the other side of them with the relationship still intact. That's our mark, guys. Nobody can do it without God's help. Can you do it? If you're doing it, you're doing it with God's help. And that's the evidence that God is real. Jesus said the whole world will know that we're His disciples if we have love for one another. Because that love goes beyond my wants, my likes, how I like it done, what works for me. That love just... It just like goes up a level. And it's, it's operating in a different way. And it's not my power anymore. It's not me. It's not John being nice anymore. It's a different level. And if you guys are really going to do anything for God, you're going to have to get really close. That's the only way you can do anything for God. You've got to get close. And you know what happens if you get close? There's going to be a lot of things you're not going to like. And people are going to hurt you or offend you or they're going to miss you or they're going to whatever because you're so close. So what does the world do? They find the people that are the easiest to get along with. They create a little tiny Facebook circle or whatever and they live in that little circle where the people are easiest to get along and then when they don't get along eventually then they go find another little circle. You guys have to say, Jesus Christ lives in us. We're in a whole different world. We are the church. And we love in the power of God's love. And God teaches me that lesson all the time. And um, I have just a couple more I want to share. Oh yeah, can't forget this one. Uh, This is my next big challenge and trial in in school. So I was about halfway through my first quarter in, in college. I was a biology major. And I had decided to keep that biology major, even though I knew now I was on a different road, because God really did, just boy, really reset my life. Um, and uh, in all my biology classes, this is, relates a little bit to what Zach shared, uh, I, uh, I began experiencing this real tension in my life. Because these guys that were discipling me, we're all about living your whole life for God. I mean, it was crazy radical. People were dropping out of school. People were changing all kinds of crazy things. People were breaking up relationships because the very center of their life was, what does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? And I was right in the middle of it. And I was making lots of choices. But <laughs> I'd go to my, my classes and all my science classes, and these professors would stand up and sometimes openly they talk about how the Bible's crazy because of this, and, and if they didn't say it openly, everything they were teaching was telling me, okay, the Bible's not true in the beginning. Which, I don't know if you guys have heard me share this, it didn't bother me too much because everybody knows the beginning of the Bible isn't true. I mean, we all know that. We've all read the cereal boxes. Everybody knows the beginning of the Bible isn't true. Um, and I was okay with that. I'd known that since I was like five or something. Um, but the problem was, I was really putting a lot on the line for Jesus. And, um, and I was beginning to get a little bit nervous because 
somewhere in here this book had to start being true and it better start being true before it gets to Jesus. And there are some wild things about Jesus. Walking on water and born of a virgin. And So I'm going, alright, so when does this start being true here? If it's not true by this point, I better jettison and get out of here because I'm making way too many changes. So I went to the guys that were discipling me and I said, um, Brad, when does the Bible uh, start being true? He said, well, John, we believe the whole Bible. I said, well, I know we believe it all, but when does it start being true? Because I understood that as a Christian, you believed a bunch of stuff that wasn't true. That's what it means to be a Christian. You know it's not true, but you believe it anyway because you're a person of faith. And uh, they said, well, no, John, actually, we actually think it's all true. And they said, you know what, there's even scientists that think it's all true. And as a matter of fact, there's scientists right on this campus that think it's all true. And as it turned out at Iowa State University, the dean of the engineering college, and Iowa State University is a huge engineering college, the dean of the engineering college was actually on the board of ICR, the Institute for Creation Research, and he absolutely believed the Bible literally, six-day creation and everything, and he had a bunch of scientific stuff he'd written about it. Professor in the vet med department, Iowa State's a huge vet med college, um, was a strong open creationist. There was a professor in zoology uh, that was a strong open creationist. And so I started connecting with these guys' writings and with books and all this stuff, and I began going, oh my goodness, there's all this scientific evidence that, that actually what the Bible writes... It's actually the history of the world. It's actually the history of the world. And I have spent a huge part of my Christian life immersed in that because to me it is so powerful because it makes God very tangible to me. And I'm very confident, I'm very confident that this world that I live in is 6,000 years old. I think that because it says so in the Bible... But, I think that because everything I've ever looked at related to the Bible all corroborates it. It all fits together. And so, so I have a faith that when I read something, I can go, that is true because I have real confidence that the rest of it's true. Let me, let me share a verse um, that... Uh, I think shows Jesus really recognized what the Christian church needs to feel confident about. John chapter 3, he's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, you know, he, this is where he says you must be born again. And he's talking about really how to get to heaven and, and, and eternal things. And he says this, I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? So Jesus is telling him all kinds of things. And, 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 I, and in this I hear God speaking. He says, listen, I've told you guys stuff about the earth you live on. I've told you stuff about history that you can actually check out. You don't believe the things that I've said about history that you can actually check out, and yet you're willing to believe me about all this crazy, wild, eternal heaven stuff that you can't check out? What's wrong with your head? If God can't get his history right, he doesn't have the future right either. If he's wrong about all the stuff we can look at, why would we believe him about the stuff we can't look at? God knows that. 
I remember the first area I studied in the whole thing of science with origins and stuff was the origin of life. Can you really take chemicals? Can you really take hydrogen and turn it into people? And um, uh, there's a lot of stuff written about that, and really it all comes down to pretty simple chemistry. And, and I studied it out, and I spent about a year studying it out, and I finally got to the point where I realized I can walk up to the blackboard, and I don't care who in the world is in this room. I can write on that blackboard why chemicals can never become a living system, and I know every objection they can make, and I know every objection is wrong. It's that simple. It's that straightforward at the level of the origin of life. And then I went, this, John, are you saying the whole world's crazy and you're right? What are you thinking? This entire institution disagrees with you. The entire world disagrees with you. Which isn't true, actually, because lots of people hold a creationist view. But I had to come to this conclusion. In this world I live in, there's lots of smart people, lots of people smarter than me. But you and I are really weird. And whenever we come to the subject of God, we go completely nonlinear. We become completely irrational. That's the way human beings are. Unless you've crossed that line and you've said... I will belong. I will belong. If you've not crossed that line, you will say all kinds of stupid, crazy things to keep from acknowledging God. And even brilliant scientists who can figure out all kinds of cool stuff, anything that relates to God, they will not be able to be objective about. And the whole world has been misled because people want to be able to explain life without God. And you and I are caught up in this milieu where the whole voice seems like, collective voice of the world, says that the Bible is a false book. And I'm telling you what, you cannot be very strong in your faith if you, if you think that way. If the really simple, straightforward things about, the, about a flood... And people live in 900 years? If that's not true, and what's easier to read than that? That's pretty straightforward. You can't misinterpret that. That's what it says. If that's not true, all those esoteric, hard-to-understand spiritual things, you have no reason to believe any of that. In my own faith, I am so thankful for what God has done in Jesus Christ because I'm very confident every specific thing in the Bible... I can be confident is true and that if I look, I will find that it verifies. So all the other stuff all stacks on top of it and all becomes like this rock. This is true. I will see Jesus Christ one day. Now I often don't live that way. But I know it's true. And I just don't know it because I feel it. Although I do feel it. I know it because every piece of data. I, could, I couldn't deny it. I go, ah, I can't get away from this. Look at it. It's all right there. It all lines up. This is going to happen. Every person is going to step into the presence of Jesus Christ. It's like a train. And it's coming. 
And if anybody wants to, they can go and look and you put the pieces together for yourself. What do you think it takes? It's right there. Look at it. There's enough evidence left to put it all together. We're going to stand in front of Him. And I'm so thankful that I felt really rattled in my faith and I went, I have got to figure this out. And, and not everybody's like that. Not everybody has to figure all this stuff out. We have our faith in different ways. But if you are one of those people, you know, I think you know, Zach talked about how that was a really relevant thing for him. If you're one of those people, then I'm telling you what, you need to go build this foundation. For yourself, and so other people can look and go, well, I can't, you know, I can't figure it out, but he, he has. I'm pretty sure he's got it figured out, and he feels peace about it. If he feels peace, I feel peace. We have a very tangible God. He is very real, very near, very tangible. And that's what the devil wants to take away from us. He wants to make God very amorphous and sort of out there, kind of, sort of doing stuff. You're never quite sure what... That's not a God you can put your life in their hands. David believed in a very concrete God. And that's what he wrote about in the Psalms. And I just say, you know, boy, I could share a lot of stories. I think I'm using up Chinyu's time now. But um, one thing I've learned that I'm still learning is that What God really wants from me is not some measure of how much I share my faith with others, but how much faith I have to share. It's not how much I share my faith, it's how much faith do I have to share. To what degree is this faith really real in me? To what degree do I walk with God on a daily basis through all my trials, my tests, my challenges, which we all have? You've got a bunch of them. How real is God in that? God doesn't want to make you happy. God wants to make you happy in Him. God doesn't want to make you happy. God wants to make you happy in Him. It's in walking in His strength, walking in His power, walking in His reality, walking in in the Holy Spirit. God says, that's where I want to fill your life. And it's so easy again for us to be deceived and thinking, if I just get my Christian life together, if I just get my act together, God's going to put me in this groove and finally, life's going to feel like it's supposed to feel. And God says, "I, I will make you happy later. After you die, everything's going to be just like you think it should be. Down here, you will not be happy, and it's not my goal to make you so. It's my goal to make you happy in me. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. Not getting everything together and so it all is kind of working for me. It's all working for me now. I got rid of all my bad habits. I, you know, I got out of debt. I got all the stuff taken care of and now I'm happy. No. 
don't worry, you will never get out from under the pile. There are so many, there are so many problems, trials, challenges swirling all around you, and as soon as you get rid of one of yours, uh, seven from other people are going to dump into your world. But what, he, what God teaches us is, you know, you think, oh, this is supposed to get better, this is supposed to get better. No, no, no. It's supposed to become more filled with me walking with Christ. That's what it's supposed to be. His church is not supposed to be a bunch of happy people whose lives are working. It's people who are walking in the presence of God and who come together to share that other life, that other life, that walking life. They come together to share the walking life with one another. You guys aren't supposed to come together and smile and go, yeah, life's good. Although sometimes it is, for sure. I mean, riding a motorcycle through Utah, life is good. I wish I could always do it. There's times where life is rich, and and it says in the Bible that God has given us all things for our enjoyment. So whenever you have those moments where you go, man, this is working, just stop and go, thank you, God, I'll take it. This is a great moment. This is a great moment. And we have those. But we think they're supposed to be all the time. And, um, And when they're not... Remember, Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, it tells us in Isaiah. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. It means like he knew it. It was his friend. Grief was his friend. Things often didn't work for him. Lots of stuff he wanted. Lots of stuff he wanted. And most days, he didn't get it. But he walked with his father and he experienced joy. So other places, he was full of joy. And that's what God wants for us. And we come together and we share that other life. That other life of faith. And that's what I want to grow in more. And that's what I want to... Um, now I'm down in Phoenix. And I, uh, um, I really want to help that little church grow the same way I'm trying to grow. Just grow more in that. And I'm going to do one thing here. I'm going to give a little commercial uh, for, ni- or for um, Frontline. Because... I want you guys to know what it's designed for. And I want to read to you the vision for Frontline. Uh, just, just kind of their opening paragraph. Because you and I need to be encouraged and we need to be drawn together in faith. We need communities of that. And, um, and Frontline is designed for this room. It is designed for the people in this room. It says this, To live as a disciple of Jesus Christ means to love Jesus and to love people like He does. But what does Jesus' love look like in a Facebook culture that lists 40 plus different choices for gender? How do we share about the love of the Father in a generation in which 50% or more of American children grow up in broken homes? 40% are born out of wedlock, and it's estimated that more than 685,000 experience abuse every year. What does it mean to offer the abundant life Jesus promised in a world where recreational sex is normal, drug and alcohol abuse are routine, and pornography generates as much revenue as the NFL? And as the social fabric in America loses its Christian framework, 
What challenges and choices will a committed disciple face in the workplace, in education, and with our government? The world has changed. What does that mean for a heart set to follow Jesus? In America, we are now living in a culture more like the first century than the 20th century in its values and worldview. The first century church was born into the same cultural and spiritual tension that Christianity increasingly faces today. Yet those first believers found their place at the front line of this tension and they never backed away. They followed Jesus in a very broken world and they changed an empire. Frontline 2014 is going to take a raw, head-on look at what it means to live for Jesus in a generation that knows almost as little about him as the generation into which he was born. And in this conference, we're going to talk about why in the world can you believe the Bible? How can you say God's good when the Bible condones slavery and all kinds of crazy things like that? How do we deal with issues of gender? How do you relate to people that believe things totally opposite than you? What does it mean to love them? How do we deal with issues in our own lives? Cultural stuff. None of it's going to be about marriage. None of it's going to be about family. All of it is just going to be about what does it mean to live as a disciple? There's going to be a lot more free time for people to interact, build relationships, go see things around Moab. It's a day longer. It's going to almost be like a spiritual vacation with a sharp focus. So I'd encourage you to go on the website. Um, I believe this was made for you. And um, I want you to let God wrap his arms around you at that conference and speak to your heart. And it's really cheap. I wish think a conference would cost for five days. If you're willing to sleep on a floor, it's $115. That's the entire total cost. So, you can go on the website and check it out. Anyway, let me pray. Sorry for going a little long here. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you that you hear us. Thanks, God, that you're worth following. Lord, I think of all these people here and all, we've all got our own worlds. Just we have our own faith story, we have our own struggles. Just a room full of just challenges here. Pray you just draw each one of us close and be real to us in the midst of those. In Jesus' name, amen.